Now I'm going to be in Leveland in a while, and I could tell everybody there that Brother Gail can preach a whole sermon really fast, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that disservice to you. They probably expect you to preach an hour like, like Brother Joel wants me to preach each time, but you clearly can lay it out and preach beautifully in, in 20 minutes. Now, the, the problem is it, it was very good in the 20 minutes, but it was only 20 minutes because it was so well preached. I'd, I'd, if you'd gone 40 minutes, we could just stop. We'd be fine. But, um, so I'm going to try to speak here, but I, what I'll tell you is um, that's a beautiful truth that Brother Gail has preached to us. I have uh, tried to preach on that subject, and it is bigger than 20 minutes. So he constrained himself, um, and it is beautiful, beautiful truth. Um, I want to tack on to it. Just uh, I have something on my mind, uh, but I just want to tack on to a couple of things that Brother uh, Gail brought to our attention. First of all, in Genesis chapter 4, where the Lord spoke to Cain, and it was in verse 9, Genesis 4, 9, where the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Okay, and his brother Gail told us in quite a judgmental fashion, but I would judge the situation exactly the same. Cain did know. Right, He said, I know not, but he really did know. So that was a straight-up lie. Right? Um, I want to go to the chapter before, Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 2, at the end of it, it says, They were both naked, uh, Adam and Eve. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And in just a few short verses, how things change. Right? We're in chapter 3, and in verse 7, it says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And in verse 8 it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Okay? That may not seem to make much sense just yet, but those two things, all the way back Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, and I find out there's an aspect of what people know and what they don't know. Right? There was a time that they didn't know that they were naked, and it was fine, and then they knew that they were naked, and it was a problem. They heard the voice of God like they had heard before, and the voice of God is even better than the voice of the blood of Abel, right? They heard the voice of God moving and his presence in the garden. And unlike they had ever done before, this time they hid themselves. Right? I think prior to Genesis chapter 3, when they heard the Lord moving in the coolness of the garden, they adored that. They, they adored the sound of his presence and they claved unto him. But this time, for the first time, and unfortunately not the last time, men, when they hear the presence of God, go hide themselves. Okay? What happened is they went from adoring God to ignoring God. Right? And then you have uh, Cain that says, I know not. Okay? Now, normally, what, 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 a, what Cain is claiming is something that men claim all the time, and maybe you've even claimed it or whatever, if you've ever been pulled over for something, right? One thing about says, oh, I didn't know that it was 35 miles an hour here. Right? Now, that may be true. You might not have known. Okay? But do you know what the police officer will tell you? Even before you get to the court and talk to the judge, do you know what the police officer will tell you? Ignorance 
is no excuse. Right? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Right? If you don't know, that doesn't even matter. Like it is 35 miles an hour. If you're going over 35 miles an hour, then you're, you, you've committed an infraction. Right? And there are signs. Right? So if you don't know, that actually speaks to another problem. Right? Yet you're not driving alertly enough and aware with awareness of knowing that that's the speed limit. So they, you know, they pretty much got you. Right? In that case, ignorance is, is no excuse before the law. But sometimes when people say, I didn't know, they don't really mean I didn't know. They meant I knew, but I didn't care. Right? And I've been guilty of that. Because okay? I've, I've received speeding citations many times. Right? And this is, you know, preachers look for a sin that they can confess so that you know that we're sinners. Like, and I've sinned far worse things. Okay? But I'm just telling you, when it comes to driving over the speed limit, I have, I do, I will. Like, it's, it's habitual, right? I break the law when I drive, all right? And I shouldn't. You, you deserve a better pastor, okay? But I do. I break the law, okay? And it is not because I don't know, right? It is because I know and I choose to break the law anyway. Now, what the, where the Lord calls that is presumptuous sin. Okay? Now, there are sins that we commit by omission, when we don't do things that we ought to do. And then there are sins that we commit by commission, which is how you commit them. We commit sin, and if you know it's wrong and you do it anyway, that's presumptuous sin. You are presuming that you're going to get away with it, or if you get caught, you don't even care. Okay? So there's a difference between ignorance and ignorance, right? Like if I go to the bank and I walk in and the teller uh, is there and, and he is ignorant of my present, okay, if I walk in and the teller doesn't see me, I, I don't get inflamed and upset. I mean, I might, <clears throat> you know, to get his attention, right? And then if he looks up and he, he serves me, then everything's fine, right? He was just ignorant of my presence, okay? But how do you think it goes if you walk into the bank and the teller's there, and they look up and they see you, and then going back to what they're doing. Like, well, I'm the customer here. Like, you can't ignore me like that, right? You think there's a maybe a greater offense in ignorance than ignorance? You think God was more offended that Cain really did know and said he didn't than if he truly didn't know? I mean, was it an offense to God that? They ignored his voice. He was walking in the cool of the day, and he approached unto them, and they pretended they didn't know he was there. Right? So they weren't ignorant of the Lord's presence. They were ignorant of the Lord's presence. And I would go on record with you that it is uh, more offensive to be ignorant than to be ignorant. Right? Now with that... Let's go to the New Testament. I want to consider with you a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 17. And we will do this quickly. Um, and I'm going to intentionally, I'm going to have to leave some of this unpreached. All right? That's just the way it's going to be. But in Acts chapter 17, there is a, an occurrence, something that you've probably heard and are familiar with. And it happens in Acts chapter 17. And there's a lot of context we could get here, but we'll just start in... Um, in verse 19. Uh, well, we'll begin in verse 18. Uh, so this is Acts 17, 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics 
encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? And they're speaking of the Apostle Paul. What will this babbler say? And others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So Brother Gail is right. You can preach the resurrection to just about anybody, right? Here he preached about the resurrection. They said, he is a setter forth of strange gods. Now, if I came before you and I set forth some strange god to you, you probably wouldn't enjoy it. You wouldn't uh, find it comfortable and you'd be looking for a new pastor. Okay? You're not like these people. Okay? These people thrived on it. Right? They loved strangeness, like this diversity of things. Okay? And we're going to find out why they were wired this way. They took him and brought him unto Aragopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. Okay? In other words, these are people who don't know. Right? But there are people, oddly enough, who pride themselves on what they know. Okay? And there was uh, a group of people at this time that were called Gnostics. Okay? And Gnostic is G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, Gnostics. And Gnostic, or Gnosticism, is about knowledge and knowing things. Okay? And it's been a great problem for men from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, do you know one of the compelling reasons why Adam and Eve would have taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Right? Remember what Satan told Eve? If you take this, the reason the Lord doesn't want you to take this is that you will take it and then you will be wise and will become as gods, knowing as gods. Right? That's something appealing to the natural flesh. Men want to be in the know. Right? Do you ever want to know? You want to be in the know? Somebody knows something? Anybody ever tell you something? I, I, I know something, but well, I shouldn't tell you. And you're like, no, no, tell me. Of course. Right? That's how these people were. Okay? They prided themselves on what they knew, and they weren't uncomfortable with what they didn't know. They're like, we hadn't heard about this resurrection, this Jesus business. Like, that, that's a God previously unknown to us. And we're not satisfied with not knowing, like we want to know. Okay? Um, Gnosticism is not just some um, old world concept. Okay? Gnosticism and knowing, that word G-N-O, that means that's a, the base word of Gnosticism, um, it occurs in our language more than, than you might appreciate. As a matter of fact, there's a word called agnostic. Okay? Agnostic is just A in front of Gnostic. Okay? And then all this, the G that was silent is now pronounced, right? So it's agnostic or agnostic, and agnostic means not knowing, okay? There are people today that consider themselves agnostic. Have you ever heard that, that someone's agnostic? Okay. They even use it in technology now. Like if you have software that's agnostic of whether you're running it on an iMac or a PC, they use that, it's like the, the, the app doesn't know and it doesn't care, right? It's, it's agnostic, okay? Um, there are people, though, that say... Uh, you know, on one hand, there are people who believe in God, you know, monotheism. They believe there's one God, one true and living God. They're polytheistic. They believe in many, many gods, and that's what we're going to find here. Um, there are people who are atheistic. And a, just like agnostic, means no knowledge. Atheism means no theism, no God. Right? Not K-N-O-W, God, but N-O, God. Right? Just the Gnostics want to know God, right? And the agnostics, or, or the atheists, say there is no God. Right? But agnostics take this middle ground. Right? 
Now, say I'm not an atheistic person. I'm not atheist. I'm not going to say there is no God. I'm going to say I'm not sure. Okay. So the agnostic takes the position. I'm. The jury's still out. Right. Um, I'm not sure whether there's a God or not, and not comfortable believing in something that I can't see and know and feel with with my concrete faculties. And so I'm just going to say uh, I'm ambivalent about God, agnostic. I don't know. Okay. So that's, that's one carry forward of the word G-N-O uh, in, in our modern vernacular is agnostic, not knowing. Okay. There's another thing. Uh, Sister Linda even mentioned it this morning. She was asking her prayer request. She's talking about someone getting a diagnosis. When a diagnosis is D-I-A, gnosis. All right? Diagnosis is a determination of a situation. When you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis... It's a determination based on knowledge. Here's the knowledge of what you have. And shortly after you get your diagnosis, do you know what you want from the doctor? The prognosis, right? You know what a prognosis is? Prognosis and diagnosis aren't the same thing. Prognosis, literally break it down, means foreknowledge, right? Prognosis, so to know beforehand. And the prognosis, if you have a certain kind of cancer, the prognosis Maybe that here's how we th- believe it's going to spread, or here's, here's what kind of medical intervention that we, we suggest. Okay? So we, we have this word, G-N-O. Uh, another one is ignorance. Right? Ignorance, and if we would uh, all kind of, I guess we kind of have two senses of what the word ignorant means. One is it's kind of a mean word, you know, to cast off, call someone ignorant in our modern vernacular, what it really means is lacking knowledge, right? So agnostic is no knowledge, but agnostic or ignorance would be um, lacking knowledge. So maybe you have some knowledge, but not the knowledge you need in that particular situation, right? There's some very smart people that are ignorant about some things, right? My father was a reporter his whole life. He didn't desire to learn how to do plumbing or electrical. He said, I'm going to be a good reporter, I'm going to make my money as a reporter, and then I'm going to pay plumbers and electricians. That was his philosophy. Right? Uh, I grew up in a house where I had to learn plumbing and, and electrical. Right? So I, I couldn't afford, we could not afford for me to be ignorant about some things. Right? So you develop kind of how you fit into that. All right? But I um, want to look at these Gnostics, these people that value knowledge um, and here is the, this desire to hear some new thing. Okay? These are people that really have a desire for knowledge. Okay? Um, not necessarily God-honoring knowledge, but it's, it's the pursuit. Right? And what you'll find even today in human secularism, right, and this human egocentrism, is about what you know. Have you ever heard the, the, the phrase, knowledge is power? Okay? There's some aspects to which I'm sure that's true, but it's really, um, that's pretty secularistic thinking, right? Knowledge is power, right? I know things, right? Well, you can know a lot of things and be powerless, right? Matter of fact, if we are not careful, we may believe that, that knowledge is power, and then we may know some things, and then find ourselves powerless to do anything about them, and then we've been sold a bill of goods, right? The, The Word of God talks about a power that's much greater than natural knowledge, for sure, right? 
So here in Acts chapter 17, they took him, um, brought him to Aragopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, and we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Okay? This is like their hobby. This is their vocation. This is their engagement. Right? We know what we know. And man, if we hear that there's something we don't know, we want to know that too. Okay? Now, what do you think is the result of all that knowledge? Well, the world would tell us knowledge is power. Right? Knowledge is good. Knowledge is smart, right? If they had all this knowledge, if there were people that were soaking up knowledge this way, they probably got things really well buttoned down, right? I mean, imagine if you could really know everything and have it all worked out, you would probably know the difference between right and wrong and you'd be doing right. That's evidently not what happens with the accumulation of knowledge, okay? In this case, what happens with the accumulation of knowledge is the accumulation of God's Little g-o-d-s, okay? In other words, they were being taught so many things that they just said, well, oh, there's some new thing? We need to set up a new idol, okay? So even the consumption of knowledge, the accumulation of knowledge, it didn't, didn't work to this people's advantage, right? So in verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. It's interesting, if you look up that, that word, uh, superstitious, and the Greek word from which it's transliterated, we, we have a sense of what we know what superstitious is, right? That you, like, you know, believe in, in kind of kooky things. Maybe you've got an amulet or good luck charm or rabbit's foot. Maybe you're scared of certain numbers, you know, whatever. Maybe you worship multitude of gods. That certainly was the case here. You look at the word superstitious here, it's transliterated from the Greek word. It literally means more religious than others. Right? In other words, the Apostle Paul looked at this and said, I perceive you are more religious than others. Right? You are super religious. Right? These were people, you couldn't say they weren't worshiping. They were like worshiping on overdrive. Like worshiping, I mean, A to Z, Alpha to Z. I mean, the whole deal... Soup to nut. These were a religious people. Matter of fact, he goes, you, you guys have a lot of gods. Right? You are more, more superstitious. You are more religious than most. And I say what? I believe in one God. And you believe in one God. And how well are we serving him? The last thing I need is more gods. Right? Like, if I could serve the one I have, right? I, would, I would rather be able to better serve the one I have than to have a dozen more. More gods is not the answer, but it was to them, right? And they already had a lot of gods, and they're like, we think we missed one. There's something here about this resurrection thing we haven't heard before, and we are itching to hear it. Like, Paul, come scratch this itch. Like, you, you know something we don't know, right? Now, what we find is this is what the Apostle Paul does with this circumstance. You are altogether too superstitious, more religious than others. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Have you ever heard that before? It's a really um, interesting um, occurrence, right? One thing it, it manifests is um, the wisdom, I'll even use this word, the cleverness 
if you wanted to kind of like the launching pad for this sermon, this is a great way to say it, right? As a matter of fact, when I've heard this before, I've kind of got that feeling like, yeah, you get them, Apostle Paul. Like, they're, they've got an altar set up to the unknown God, and he's put it together. You, you know, the God they don't know is the one true and living God. And I'm going to start right here. You've already got a devotion unto him. I'm going to preach to you this unknown God whom you ignorantly worship. Like, to me, that's, that's clever. Like, I, I appreciate good wordplay, right? Like, this, he's, he's getting them right where they are. You know, like, I'm going to declare unto you this unknown God whom you ignorantly worship. Now, we can stop right there, and maybe that's where we usually stop. Okay? What's interesting about this is we have the sermon that he preached to them right here in the next couple of verses. There's some sermons in the Word of God we don't have access to, okay? like Philip and the eunuch. Right? We don't know what Philip preached to the eunuch. We know where he started, and we kind of know where he finished. Right? Uh, there was a time Jesus Christ, on the road to Emmaus, he went preaching. Right? I'd, I'd love to have that sermon. That's a good one. Right? Philip's sermon, pretty good. You got somebody inquiring, you're like, pull up that sermon. Read that. Okay? Some sermons have not been given unto us, and recorded for us, I think because they're not given unto us to know. Right? But if a sermon has been recorded for us, why in the world would it be recorded? Right? Probably for our consumption. Right? Probably for our benefit. And this is a case where we have the sermon that the Apostle Paul preached. Okay? Now, what I'll say is we can start with um, a, maybe an unhealthy uh, entrance into Acts chapter 17. And I can tell you a lot of times... The way you enter into a verse of scripture affects how you're going to come out of it, right? If you think, I'm going to prove something by the scripture, you'll probably find a way to prove it, right? If you start reading the scriptures like, Lord, I don't even know, just I want to read the word of God and hear what it says. You might come out of that verse differently than if you go in with your predisposition, right? Now, when I hear about this account, and I think the Apostle Paul is going to preach to some people who are ignorantly worshiping the unknown God. Okay. I will tell you that my initial impression is kind of a we-they perspective. Okay. Because I know God. And I'm not boasting, I'm just telling you, relative to these Athenians, relative to these, these on Mars Hill, I know God better than they did. Right? They, they had all these altars to all these different gods, and they were ignorantly worshiping the unknown God the Apostle Paul was going to preach to them. And I know, and you know, some things about that God. As a matter of fact, the Word of God talks about the fact that we know God. It says, He that glorieth, let him glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's pretty remarkable. Now, we don't understand him to fullness, right? We don't comprehend him. We don't have him all figured out. But evidently, we know him enough and we understand him enough that we're supposed to glory about him. And, perhaps as a primitive Baptist, you have placed some value on what you know. Right? We are a people that, and I'm going to use this word, and I, and I really mean it, and it's a bad word. <laughs> but we, we pride ourselves on what we know. Okay? And pride cometh before a fall. And pride is not a godly virtue. Right? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't know what we know, or we shouldn't be thankful for what we know. But pride is not the right thing to do with what we know. Okay? And if I'm proud of what I know, 
and I come into Acts chapter 17 with that pride, I am not going to come out of Acts chapter 17 for the better. Right? Now, I will tell you, I am thankful for what I know. I'm thankful that we have a doctrine. I'm thankful that we believe it. I'm thankful that it's taught in the Word of God. There are a lot of God-fearing Christian people that go to churches that honestly don't teach a doctrine at all. Or it's not a godly scriptural doctrine. It's a doctrine of name it, claim it, or personal gain, or you know, making the preacher rich, whatever it is, or be your best self. Okay? There's a lot of things being peddled as the gospel of Jesus Christ that aren't. As a matter of fact, many of those things aren't even being peddled as the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're being peddled just as the gospel. They don't even want to say the name Jesus Christ because that might offend someone. They don't want to say the word Baptist because that might offend someone because someone might not want to be baptized. Well, there's a lot of things I should do that I might not want to do that I might not like to hear about. Okay? That doesn't mean God isn't willing to say. Right? How do you feel about repentance? I'd rather not hear about repentance, but you know what? It's something I need to do, and it's something God has given unto me to do. How would you like to be a member of the first repentance Baptist church? I don't want that, right? Except we're called unto repentance, right? So there's some people who are going to shy away from gospel truth, from doctrine. I'm thankful that we embrace a doctrine. I'm, I'm thankful that it's taught in the Word of God. But I will tell you this, we ought never be proud of it, okay? To where we think it makes us better than someone else or that it somehow equips us better. I mean, if we think that knowing about predestination makes you a better child of God, then, then we're, we're no better than someone that believes that you can believe your way into heaven. Right? Because I can believe my way into being a better Christian because I know predestination. I mean, like, we just have to be careful about those things. Right? Now, I don't say that to cast all that out and say, you shouldn't even be thankful for what you believe. We ought to be truly thankful for what we know and what we believe. What we see here is the, the accumulation of knowledge in and of itself isn't even salvation, right? Because this people, they still really needed some preaching, and the Apostle Paul was willing to preach to them. What's interesting about what the Apostle Paul, as he starts with this adoration and this altar that they have to the unknown God, whom they're ignorantly worshiping, do you think it was the Apostle Paul's goal just to put Jesus Christ on even par with all those other gods? Was that a success? Like, well, now they're not ignorantly worshiping this God. They're worshiping him with some knowledge along with the tree God and the water God and the rain God and the fire, all those things. I've, I've put Jesus on, on par with these other little worldly gods. That's not what the Apostle Paul desired, right? So his, even though he started there, that wasn't really his desire to say, this God whom you worship with the others, I, I want you to worship him with them, but worship him better. Okay. What we have here is a sermon, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with the next 11 minutes. <laughs> I might all just give up. Because um, we have conference and everything. So, um, hmm. all right. One of the benefits here is we have the sermon, so we ought to read the sermon. I'm going to do that instead of tell you what I think about it, and then we'll see what happens. But 
in verse 24, it says, this is the Apostle Paul preaching to this people. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Has anyone ever heard that? You ever heard that verse? In him we live and move and have our being? Well, I'll tell you what, if this sermon is really only for the ignorant Athenians on Mars Hill, then that's none of your business, right? I think maybe this sermon is for more than just the Athenians on Mars Hill, right? So if I come into Acts chapter 17 and I go, there's some people who just don't know what I know. And this is a sermon to bring them up to speed, right? If I say this is a sermon for somebody else, then I'm probably going to miss it, right? And we've talked about the breath mint, right? Someone offers you a breath mint, take it, right? You might say, I don't need a breath mint. Maybe you do, right? Maybe they know something about your situation that you don't know, right? And sometimes the word of God is that way, right? Sometimes there's something for us, and we say, well, I don't need that. Well, somebody around you might think you need it, right? And the Lord here has a message that may not just be for the ignorant, okay? These that don't know this God, and they're ignorantly worshiping Him. Maybe there's something here for us, whether we think we need it or not. Now, I will tell you this. I think if we get to a place where we realize that we need it and how we need it, we'll actually take it to heart. Like, we'll... we'll take it to our heart better than if we just think, well, it's not really for me, but I'll pretend it's for me, right? He offered me a breath mint, I'll take it, right? Like, you know, if somebody offers you a breath mint, you pop in your mouth and, man, that tastes fresh and wintry clean. Then, yeah, maybe your mouth wasn't so fresh and winterly clean before, right? So here we're going to find that this message, I'm just going to go on record here, this message is for us, okay? Well, let's keep reading. He says, um that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of you. Now it says every one of us. Okay? For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also of his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Now that... That actually is really relevant to this people, right? Because they've literally got all these graven images. And these aren't just altars to gods. These are the gods themselves. Like, this is the god of whatever right there carved up for you to walk by and pay your devotion. It's not just like an altar to that god. This is the god. And if they knew what the unknown god looked like, that altar would look just like the unknown god. It would be him. It was probably the least descript altar they had along that whole passage. It was like, we're not even sure. Like, we don't know. But just in case, right? In case there's a God we forgot, we're going to put up an altar even to the unknown God. Okay? Now, we can mock at that. We can scoff at that. But if you're into worshiping a lot of gods, that's pretty smart. Right? Because there's a God of this and a God of that, but there might be a God of something you don't know yet. And you don't want to be found not worshiping that God. 
So they truly had all their bases covered, right? And I have a feeling that, I mean, the Apostle Paul said he was going to talk about the unknown God, but if he's talking about the God of the resurrection and they hadn't heard that before, they were probably getting ready to set up a new altar to the God of the resurrection, right? And it wasn't even going to take place of the, God, of the altar of the unknown God because if they didn't know about the resurrection, there's probably something else they didn't know about, okay? But for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, or stone graven by art or man's device, which literally are the kind of gods that they were serving. But verse 30 says this, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, or overlooked. But now, but right now, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now that doesn't maybe strike us strange because we heard the preaching of John the Baptist said, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is nigh. Jesus Christ pe- preached repentance, right? The, apostle, the apostles preached repentance. But here, the apostle Paul is preaching unto a people that are ignorant mm-hmm. about God. And what he says is, God overlooked this ignorance for a while, but now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now tell me, how do you repent from ignorance? How do you repent from what you don't know? Like, if, if we think repent means turn from, how do you turn from what you don't even know? Like that doesn't even seem like, if there's someone who's ignorant, repentance doesn't even seem like it's the appropriate medicine, right? If your diagnosis is that you're ignorant, do you know what the medicine, what the prescription is? Knowledge, right? If someone's ignorant, give them knowledge. Why would you tell someone who's ignorant to repent? But God said, I would have every man and everywhere to repent. Let's stop for a moment and maybe we don't fully understand repentance, right? Because repentance... Repentance doesn't always mean turn from. As a matter of fact, this Greek word that's transliterated repent here means think differently. Okay? Does someone who's ignorantly worshiping God, could they think differently? Most certainly. Right? So if God would have them to think differently, okay, we've resolved the, the discomfort with this verse. Okay? Because it wouldn't make sense for him to say, turn from your ignorance, unless it's turn unto knowledge, but they didn't have the knowledge. But it's, Think differently. Okay. Mark the Primitive Baptist is okay. Right? I know they didn't know what God wants is for them to think differently. Okay? I can make it out of Acts chapter 17 unscathed. Right? This wasn't about me. How many times did Jesus Christ preach to the Jews, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he was preaching about them, and they didn't get it? Until the end, they're like, hold are you Are you saying we're blind? What? Right? And he was like, Yes, right, right, and there was a breath mint for them they didn't realize was for them, right? Is it possible there's a message here in Acts chapter 17 that's not just for the ignorant that don't know about God? Maybe there is a message for us here, and I'm going to have to work really fast to get there. So let's go back to verse 23. As I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. And that word unknown comes from the Greek word agnostos. Interesting, right? Agnostic. Right? They were agnostic about this God. We're not sure about him. Right? We don't 
We don't even know what to carve on the stone. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know what he's responsible for. He's unknown to us. We're not sure. We're agnostic. Okay? So there's an agnostic right there, right? To the unknown God. But he says, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Okay, this word ignorantly um, is from a Greek word very close to agnostos, and I, I won't try to pronounce it, but I will tell you that when I looked at it, at this word, ignorance, as it's transliterated here, we realize that that ignorance has that G-N-O in it as well, right? But as I, and this is what brought me to this place, right? As I was thinking this was a sermon about other people, to other people, that had a different problem than I do, that I don't have, what this word, who you ignorantly worship, if you look at the Greek definition, it's not just uh, ignorance in terms of lacking knowledge, or um, a lack of information, it can also mean to ignore. Okay. Now, this part's not very pleasant, okay? because we may think we make it in and out of Acts chapter 17 unscathed if this is about ignorance, because we know what we know. Right? But what if this God whom you ignorantly worship what if it's about not just what you know or don't know, but what if, what if it's about what you know and you pretend you don't know? Right? That was Cain, right? He knew what happened to Abel, but he pretended he didn't know. That was like Adam and Eve. Like All of a sudden they knew that they were naked and they heard the voice of God and they pretended they didn't hear him. Right? Have you ever pretended that you don't hear him? Have you ever ignored God? You ever want God to be with you on your terms? Like right here? Not so close that I don't get to say what I want to say and do what I want to do, but like just in case. I'm going to set God over here and when I want Him on my terms, then we'll have God me time, then we'll have church time. And we're all guilty of that. And just like that experience with the bank teller, which do you think is more offensive? I think God would be more offensive by someone not knowing him or someone pretending they don't know him when they really do. You remember when Peter denied the Lord three times? Did he deny that the Lord was the Messiah? No. Did he deny that he was born of a virgin? No. Did he say he couldn't work miracles? No. Did he say he, he didn't really walk on water? I was right there. No. Do you know what Peter denied three times? I don't know the man. And was that true? It wasn't true. Peter wasn't ignorant of God. He was ignorant of God. That's far worse. I'd rather be ignorant than ignorant. So what I find out is this is much more about me than I thought. And I don't have idols, or do I? Right? What am I doing when I'm ignoring God? Am I not worshiping at all, or am I worshiping something else? Right? Man, we're in such a bad place. Right? But what the Word of God says is He would have every man in every place to repent. Think differently. Right? And here's what the rest of that verse says. 
because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. That's when he starts talking about the resurrection, and that's when they get really itchy, right? But you see, the problem for the agnostic is they're not sure. And here it says the Lord. Do you know what the, the solution for not being sure is? Okay. There's two ways to deal when you're not sure about something. Okay? If you're not sure about your house, and you're not sure about your car, and you're not sure about your health care, and you're not sure about your life, you can get insurance. Right? And insurance says, you're not sure, we're not sure, but you're going to put money into this basket, and if something happens, you're going to get to get that money out of that basket. Right? And insurance is a weird thing because we pay for it hoping never to use it. Right? Okay. Now, what if, instead of buying insurance, what if you could buy assurance? Right? What if you could buy a policy that... For your home, for your life, for your health care, for your car. What if you could buy a policy that not only would pay if something went wrong, what if you could pay in advance to keep something from going wrong? Okay. I imagine that life assurance and automobile assurance would cost more than insurance, right? Like you'd have to pay more for that. But what if you cared about your things so much what about if you esteem them so highly that you would pay more than the price of insurance? What if you would pay enough to assure that nothing would happen to them? Like, that'd be, you'd have to really care about them, and you'd have to be willing to pay a great price. What if that's exactly the way God feels about you? Right? God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. He bought assurance. Mm -hmm. right? And what was the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood that now speaketh, it speaketh assurance. Right? And assurance was the message unto these that were ignorant, but assurance is also the message to those that are ignorant. Right? I'm way out of time. I've gone over. Okay. And I'm not even satisfied with it, right? So other things I would have liked to have shared. But what I can tell you is um, agnosticism, that's not the greatest offense. Like not knowing, knowing and pretending you don't know, right? The way we've treated God. And you know what the devil will tell us when we think about um, this repentance and turning to him and the assurance that we have in him. The devil will tell us that there are times when... Um, maybe when we really, really need deliverance, that the devil will tell us that it's too late or this was all your fault. It's, you know, God is able, but why would he help you? Right? And one of the reasons why I think the devil can do that to us is because since we've ignored God and we've put him on our terms, it's not unreasonable for us to think that God would ignore us. Right? Well, this was my fault. Like, I haven't been praying the way I should, and I got myself into this mess, and there's no way, even though he's able, there's no way he's willing. Okay? You see, God is not ignorant. Right? And God is not 
ignorant, right? He knows and he cares. And he doesn't pretend that he doesn't know you. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ said, Behold, I and the children which my Father has given me. We may try to distance ourselves from him, but he's never tried to distance himself from us. As a matter of fact, he gives us the assurance that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Okay? And we're in that nothing. We can't separate us. Our situation can't separate us. And even though we would try to push him away, which is a far greater crime than not knowing him, is to pretend that we don't know him, the Lord is faithful. Right? He's good to us. He's better to us than we are to him. Much more could be said, but I'll just close it with, I would much rather adore him than ignore him. That's our opportunity in this life. Okay, when it comes to worship, if not us, who? If not now, when? Like, this worshiping God is for us right now. And we ought to be cleaving unto Him. We ought to be adoring Him and never be found ignoring Him. God bless you.